Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it. Finds Wall and there's his game winner. On the move, on the way. Tucker will score. Sean Tucker with a touchdown. Gillen. Got it. Derek, you win. Are you serious? Five down. One to go. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network, with episode 90 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online. In this episode, we are switching from Syracuse football and going to the hardwood to talk Syracuse basketball, specifically the 3 0 start for Syracuse men's basketball, including the 24 point historic comeback win over Colgate, avenging losses from each of the last two years. Joining me for this episode are Griffin Della Pena and Josh Crawford. The last of the major sports leagues is off and rolling and college basketball is ready to go as well. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to Bet Online today and remember to use the promo code BLEAV, BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online where the game starts. Syracuse basketball is off to a 3 and 0 start but not without some drama. A 24 point comeback against Colgate caps off a 3 and 0 start before Syracuse heads to Hawaii for the Maui Invitational. I am here with Griffin and Josh to discuss the first three games of the Adrian Autry era. And we're going to start right with those first three games and your main takeaways from what you've seen from the orange so far. We're going to go to you Griffin to start. I just think it's a very resilient group looking at the first two games of the season against New Hampshire and Canisius, very similar to what we saw in the exhibition games too, right? A great hot start, maybe fizzled out for a little bit there and took their foot off the gas offensively. Did have some blunders on defense, but nothing to really be worried about the outcome of that game. Much different against Colgate, a team that you've lost to the last two seasons, and uh, a perennial team in the Patriot League to make the NCAA tournament every single year. This was a huge game to almost test, are we going to see the Syracuse of old, or will there be some change implemented? And for them to come back from 24 points down, against a very well-coached team, a team that is not going to wow you with their athletic ability or, you know, just the way that they play basketball is so cohesive and is not very pretty to the eye but still gets the job done. That's almost harder to do against a team that plays in system like that to come back from such a big deficit. So I'm very pleased with where Syracuse is right now. Um, A lot of Things that will still be tweaked, I think, in the defense. I think the press was implemented at the perfect time and kind of ignited that run. In the half-court offense, I still do want to see a little bit more motion, more movement of the basketball. This is a team that's so athletic and can get out in transition, and we're going to continue to see fast-break points. 
But now you just need to see that translated into the half-court game when a defense is actually set up. Those are the biggest things which I saw in the first you know, 30 minutes and change in comparison to when they went on the run late in the game was that style of offense that we're going to be used to seeing, at least, which Coach Autry tells us, was actually in there uh, late against Colgate. So I have to say through the first three games, I am very pleased. Yeah, so the the interesting thing is, you know, these are the first three games of the Adrian Autry era, as I mentioned. And my entire life prior to this, Syracuse basketball has had one coach, Jim Beheim. And at no point until the last couple of years was it ever even a question as to whether, A, you were going to beat Colgate, or B, it was unfathomable that Colgate would be a revenge game for Syracuse. But that's exactly what it was, which, you know, we can get into what that means for where things kind of were with the program. But regardless, the fact that this game started and for about a half and then the first three, four minutes of the second half was almost the exact same script as the previous two games that Colgate won, where Colgate was dictating everything offensively. They were getting great looks for their best shooters on the outside. Offensively, Syracuse couldn't do anything against them. They couldn't get good looks. Colgate, despite being smaller, was still controlling the boards, and they were neutralizing Syracuse's athleticism and size advantage. And Syracuse looked very frustrated. And But to see the fact that Coach Autry could rally them in that situation, given that it was deja vu all over again, I think it's extremely impressive. Uh, we'll get more about what that could potentially mean for the Adrian Autry era in a bit. But Josh, your reaction to how Syracuse has fared so far in their first three games? I think for me, it's probably been um, a readjustment of expectations, honestly. You know, I you know, talk about preseason expectations where they're – you know, 105th at Ken Palm. They're right, right in the middle, right lower towards the, uh, the ACC standards at 10th or 11th. And I thought with the way that you know Coach Red re-recruited this roster, but brought in a guy like JJ, that we could you know punch above those expectations a little bit. So outside of the shooting, which has kind of been I guess the main concern, um, just some of the, the lack of defense. I guess you talk about uh, a, a team with Colgate, and like you just mentioned all the history, the history that we had with them, Mike. That this is third time playing them. Like you know, in the the formula that they have to uh to win games to make shots, you know, to hit shots from uh, the three point land. So, I guess for me, there is um theoretically, I like this team still. Like I said, with the guard play, with a guy like Naheem, if he can be a little bit more consistent of uh, a presence on the glass as well as with the rim protection. But there's still a lot of you know a lot of things that they got to figure out with a, a non conference schedule that's you know starting right away. Yeah, and and it's it's going to get uh, a lot more difficult here uh, coming up when they go to Maui, it starts with seventh ranked Tennessee. So that's, that's not a team that if you get down by 24, that you can throw your press at out athlete them and have that, you know, sort of bring you back to give you a chance to win the game. But, you know, there's, there are obviously still some concerns. And I think you guys hit on a couple of them. One is, is half court offense and it's the lack of outside shooting. We know that guys like Judah and JJ are really good off the dribble and getting into the lane. But the problem is teams aren't, spacing the floor because they don't respect Syracuse's shooters. And so that clogs the lane. So when those guys get in there, yes, uh, Judah is doing a great job getting to the free throw line. But when they start getting against teams that have legit size, which they haven't really faced yet, when he gets in there, he's not going to be going against six, 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 seven guys. He's going to be going against six, 10, six, 11, seven foot guys that have, 
you know, uh, NBA body, so to speak. And that's a, a lot different of a situation. And if guys like Chris Bell can start shooting like the way he did to help spark that comeback against Colgate, as much as the press was great, his outside shooting helped a lot as well. And then Justin Taylor is shooting 44% from the outside so far on the season. Those two guys, if you can get those two guys to be consistent outside threats, that really changes everything. But what I think this team, from what I've seen in the first three games, I agree with Josh, the defense has been extremely inconsistent. But we have seen flashes where it's been really good. And I think you see the potential in those flashes. Now, they have to be more consistent with it, especially as competition increases. So the key is trying to be that way for as close to 40 minutes as possible. But what I've seen is if this team is going to be a tournament team and is going to beat some of the better teams it faces on the schedule, it's going to do that with really strong defense for, you know, 35 plus minutes of a game, turning that into transition opportunities and getting a lot of points uh, in fast break opportunities, as opposed to doing all of your damage in the half court. That's kind of what I've seen is where this team is as far as its strengths right now. So it's going to be interesting to see when the competition increases and teams, you know, scout Syracuse to those things, how they adjust to it. So back to this comeback against Colgate, it was uh, one of the, I think it was set an ACC record for largest comeback. If, if I re- am remembering that correctly, which is crazy. Right. And and I think it broke a record that was just set last year by Florida State. They had a huge, huge comeback. Um, And now Syracuse owns that record with a 24 point comeback against Colgate. Is is this a a, a potential defining moment early in the Adrian Autry era? It, It feels weird to say that just three games in and when the opponent is Colgate. But given the history of the last couple of years and how this thing was looking and the fact that Coach Autry's trying to make his mark, and you saw the team respond to his coaching to help bring them back. I'm wondering what your guys' thoughts are regarding what this could potentially mean for the rest of Coach Autry's tenure. Josh, we'll go right back to you. I think uh, definitely I'm leaning on uh, it being too early just because you talk about a career-defining moment. There hasn't really been an established trend or, you know, consistent path of what Coach Archie's been doing, you know, in his career thus far. Hasn't played a Power 5 conference, about a Power 5 team yet. So I think that even if we get deeper into the non-conference schedule outside of a game like Tennessee where, you know, this team establishes some sort of some sort of identity and then you can you can catch a, a ranked team with a potentially potentially an exploitable matchup, then I could see like that something something like that potentially being a you know a defining moment of this first season. But I just think it's it's too too early in the season, a game that we I think the expectations were too high to win for, you know, albeit we still came out with the W. I think that something like this is a little just too premature. Yeah, I, I certainly get that. And and here's the thing, right? If Syracuse beats Tennessee, regardless of how that how it ends up looking, whether it's a comeback or whatever the case is, it, that is going to end up meaning a lot more than a 24-point co- comeback against Colgate. When you look at the record books, you know, the Colgate win is going to stand out as far as the size of the comeback, but Coach Autry beating a top 10 team is going to mean much more in terms of people believing that he's on the right track to getting this program back to what it used to be in the heyday under coach Bayheim. So yeah, it, it feels, it feels like we can be prisoners of the moment to some extent 
right? We see the 24 point comeback and we just sort of go, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And it was the the largest comeback in ACC history. So it must be, you know, unbelievable. But then at the same time, you also have to, as Josh said, it's only three games into his tenure and you kind of have to see how things play out from here because if Syracuse loses like seven games in a row, then obviously that game didn't mean all that much, right? So, uh, Griffin, your thoughts on on what this could potentially mean for Coach Autry in his tenure? I think you both hit the nail on the head with your points. And, you know, the perspective of it, though, and just thinking this early on in his head coaching career, to have the buy-in from the players for that to even be possible, regardless if it's Colgate or if it was Tennessee, uh, it doesn't really matter the opponent at this point in time, but I think we can all look back and, you know, decades from now, if this is going to be a long historic tenure, like it was for coach Bayheim and think to ourselves, wow, that early on, he had the confidence of his players to do something like that, that we haven't seen in the last few years. I think that is pretty remarkable. And to go back to your point on, on the last topic, Mike, about the defense, One of the questions that I asked Coach Autry after the Canisius game was just some of the defensive lapses against the Griffs in the second half. And he told me how it is something that they need to work on. He's fully aware that, yes, Canisius hit some very tough shots, and they think that they did a very good job on closing out on some of their three-point attempts because there was a stretch where they went nine from ten from the field, like just unreal shooting numbers. And some of that's out of your control. But still, just the the highs and lows of this team at some point in time, I think you're going to see that ironed out as we look at the full season, especially if we're having buy-in from these players so early on in the year. That's not something that comes so naturally to head coaches so early on, not just with one program, but their first three games as a head coach, period. Yeah, no question. Now, it as as things get more difficult here, let me just give uh, our listeners a little bit of of a schedule on how this thing plays out, right? So Syracuse plays Tennessee in their first game, which will be at two thirty p.m. Eastern time on Monday, nine thirty a.m. local time, I believe, which is crazy that they have to play a game at local time at 9 30 in the morning hopefully for Syracuse that means that Tennessee will still be a little bit asleep and maybe they won't get them on their best so um, perhaps there's there's a a chance there but whether Syracuse wins or loses if they win then they're going to play the winner of Purdue and Gonzaga if they lose they're going to play the loser of Purdue and Gonzaga Mm -hmm. so either way you're getting either Purdue who's has the favorite for national player of the year or you're playing Gonzaga, who is a Final Four contender every single year, right? So uh, your second game is not any easier, perhaps more difficult than your first game. And your first game is really difficult. So that's what you're looking at. Now, if you lose both of those games and you end up having to play your third game looking for a win of any kind, you're most likely going to end up playing against Chaminade, who is the host and usually gets blown out a bunch of times. Um, and every once in a while they pull off an upset. So nothing is impossible, but the most likely scenario, if you lose your first two games is that you will play them and that doesn't do much for you resume wise. Whereas if you can win at least one of those other games, now you put yourself in a spot where when you get to NCAA tournament selection time, you can point to, Hey, we beat Tennessee in a neutral court or we beat Purdue in a neutral court. And, and that's something that, that can help you when you get to uh, selection time. So some important games, and I think we're going to end up learning a lot from Syracuse uh, 
at this tournament in terms of how close they are to being competitive against some of these teams. But I want predictions from you in is Syracuse going to win at least one of those games, not the the potential third game against Chaminade, but can they beat one of these marquee teams um, in their first two games? We'll go back to you, Griffin. Uh, I don't see them winning one of these games, but I do think they're going to compete. And I think that is a step in the right direction, because when you look at these three programs, they're not just fellow power five schools. They're the number seven team in the country, the number two team in the country and the number 11 team in the country. So even if you can have this be less than a double digit deficit when the final buzzer sounds, those are steps in the right direction because we mentioned the three previous teams that Syracuse has played up to this point. Nowhere near the level of competition that they could potentially be playing in these next two games and then maybe even the third as well. So if you're able to go out against the Vols, who right now they play Tennessee Tech, Wisconsin, they beat by 10, and Wofford. They've also not really played great competition either. That's the early part of the season where you really don't know what these teams are actually going to look like when they're playing in these other invites all across the country. Uh, but for Syracuse, I do expect Judah to you know do everything he can and be Superman, especially if they are down in the second half and to try to will the team back. But I think just at this point in time, especially considering they haven't really had a great test other than Colgate and just a, a huge point differential, not in terms of talent like they could over these next two games. Uh, I still think that these could be great learning moments that could even help in two weeks from now when they host LSU for the ACC SEC challenge. Yeah. And, and Tennessee is a team that's really going to challenge Syracuse defensively in, in terms of Syracuse's defense. Uh, they've got some really talented, versatile guards that can score from, from all three levels. They're shooting 38% from three as a team. Um, and you know, there, there's a reason they're ranked in the top 10 to start the season. You know, that they've got a 6'11, 240 pound big who's, um, averaging 7.7 rebounds and three blocks a game. Um, little rounding there, but those are about where, where his numbers are. And we saw Syracuse in its game against Canisius and in its game against Colgate get bullied a little bit by even though you know they weren't the 610 611 guys they were the 6667 guys but had some bulk to them and they pushed Syracuse around and kind of controlled the boards in those games so Syracuse is certainly going to have to show some improvement in that area and be uh, really consistent defensively if they want to compete with these teams Josh do you see a path to Syracuse getting a victory in, in either of those first two games um like Griffin said, I think you know, they they can compete. Like I'm always gonna lean back on that guard pay. We've all, like I said early in the uh, in the season, I like the chemistry that JJ and Judah have kind of formed with those both of those guys really being lead guards. So I think it's possible, but I think like you said, with the size that a team like Gonzaga is gonna offer or Purdue is gonna offer with that Edie, like that'll be ultimately just a little bit too much to overcome. So I think that then we just need to work on seeing the things that we want to improve. We want to see improvement with these first three games, uh, you know, be improved. So if we see, like Griffin said, a, a, an improved defensive effort, or we see some consistent shot making from Chris Bell or Benny Williams, who hasn't really gotten on track yet, I think that those things will end up being more important than, uh, you know, actually really getting a win or a loss. Yeah, so here's here's the interesting thing. Uh, ESPN has something, I don't, for anyone that looks at their app, They've got a matchup predictor, right? Which gives you the percentage chance that someone's that each team is going to win the game. And it's obviously not the end all be all, but I always like to look at it because I find it interesting. 
and the matchup between Syracuse and Tennessee, it gives Tennessee an 89.4% chance to win. I think that's probably overstating it a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I think Tennessee is going to be the favorite. They should be the favorite going into this game, but almost a 90% chance to win. That's like Griffin mentioned earlier, Tennessee played Tennessee tech earlier this season. Right. And, and won by, uh, 40 points, 40 points. Right. That's a game where you would expect that type of percentage. Uh, they played, you know, a a decent Wisconsin team, not, not a great Wisconsin team and, and won uh, by 10 points. So, um, you know, there, there's, I think 89% seems a little extreme to me personally, but we will, we'll certainly see how that plays out. Um, I'm, I'm with you guys in that. I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't predict that Syracuse is going to win either of those first two games. I don't think they'll go 0 for 0 for in Maui unless Shamanad gets upset or upset somebody. And then you end up getting like a UCLA or something like that in your third game. But, um, Either way, I think this team will be up for the challenge. They'll be competitive in these games. I don't see them being, you know, 20, 30 plus point blowouts um, that that we've seen in the last couple of years when Syracuse has played some of the elite teams in the country. I'm going to throw one more thing out for you guys, which is Benny Williams came back from his suspension in the last game against Colgate. Didn't play a ton, didn't score and Coach Autry said afterwards, you know, he's kind of got to work his way back into the rotation condition-wise and, you know, uh, just sort of fitting back in with the way that they're doing things. Your thoughts on Benny Williams, his return, and his importance for Syracuse the rest of the season. Griffin, we'll start with you. Uh, I think he's very important moving forward, going into this year, almost kind of looking like that third offensive option and had so much hype coming into Syracuse and to try to be, you know, that huge recruit that coach Bayheim landed hasn't really shown that it's been very inconsistent over his tenure so far, especially last season showed some great glimpses, but you never saw that sustained over a period of time. Uh, I really do think it's a positive right now for him to try to earn back that trust with the program and for coach Autry, who again is brand new to not just roll over and say, Oh, yep, here's your starting spot right back. And to have him almost, because he is a new coach, have the players have that almost power over him and saying, oh, this is how things used to be. No, he's kind of putting his foot down and saying, okay, you did whatever, as we still don't know the exact reasons why he was away from the program and the team decided to suspend him. Regardless, I still think it is great for coach to have that perspective and saying, okay, you're not going to get those minutes right back. You have to earn them back for this team. Uh And offensively, I think he really could be a guy that could help space the floor that this offense really does need. You talked about it, and I think you said it perfectly, Mike, is the lane right now for a guy like J.J. and Judah, it's clogged. It's very difficult for them to get in there and to be those types of facilitators that they want to be. If Benny can work on his three ball, I think he obviously did over the offseason. He didn't shoot it a ton, but he still shot a pretty high clip last year. So if you can continue to have guys on the outside with Justin Taylor and Chris Bell, and you could potentially add him into the mix if they want to go small ball and play Chris Bell at the five in some scenarios, I really do think that that could be a missing piece of the offense that we haven't seen thus far. Yeah, the clogged lane. Now imagine the clogged lane being clogged by a seven foot four, three hundred pound Zach Eady. 
yeah, you know, Syracuse fun. ends up having to face face Purdue um, in 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 that one. Um, yeah, not not fun indeed. Or you know, you've got Gonzaga. It seems like they've always got a bunch of long guys. They've got you know a, a couple of six eight six nine guys um, in their front court, and then they've got a six ten two hundred and forty pound freshman Braden Huff, who's averaging twenty one points and eight rebounds a game, who would also be clogging the middle. So a lot more size than Syracuse would be having to deal with inside. And that's where uh, you know Josh mentioned earlier. Naheem McLeod being more consistent, especially on the boards and and as a rim protector, uh, that's why you have a guy like that that's seven foot four and can match up at least size wise with some of those guys. Is you know maybe those matchups are a little bit better for him because he struggles with the guys that are a little bit on the smaller side. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But Josh, your thoughts on Benny Williams and and his importance to Syracuse the rest of the year? I mean, like uh, in the role that, like Griffin just said, but also a role that he's like perpetually played. He's you like know, he, he could be expected for this team and be the guy that really takes them over the top. He offers, you know, the thing that this team really needs, you know, most right now. Talking about shooting and size. So if he can kind of play up the potential, like uh, like Griffin said, of his high school ranking and be all the things that he theoretically can be, and you know, shows parts of, you know, towards the end of last season, he could be a guy that he gives you a legitimate chance in, you know, some of these. You know, upper echelon matchups where you know, the guard play will be pretty consistent, but you don't have that combination of size and shooting. You know, that's a, that's not a regular combination that you see. So, like, it's a role that he's kind of been in since he got here, but also something that he's shown flashes of being able to feel. So he'll he'll be that X factor until he proves one way or another he's a guy that you either can or can't rely on. Yeah, it's interesting you you bring up last year because down the stretch of the season he was starting to shoot the ball from the outside a lot better than he had the rest of his, his career. And your hope was that coming into this year, that would be a more consistent part of his game. And if it did, it would complement everything else that Syracuse does taking some pressure off of Chris Bell and Justin Taylor to have to be the guys that shoot from the outside. If you can get a third guy to take a little bit of pressure off of that, and that will help space things up, space things for uh, the rest of the guys. But then also to your point about size and, and, and uh, physicality and rebounding. I think he's the guy that's probably got the the best potential to be a really good above average rebounder on this front court with his athleticism, his, his bounciness and, and his, his build. So the fact that they didn't have him in those first two, first two games and, and that he didn't really play all that much in the third game and they were kind of beaten on the boards by some smaller teams makes you wonder if as the season goes along, he starts getting back into his normal role, gets more comfortable if uh, that will help solve some of those issues as well. But that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Syracuse podcast for Josh and Griffin. I'm Mike McAllister and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.